Welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. If you're looking for news, tips, and stories about fishing the Great Lakes, you've come to the right place. And now your host, Chris Larson. Good evening and welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast at Fishhawk Live here on the Fishhawk Facebook page and over on YouTube. And if you're listening to recording, Really appreciate you catching up there at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify as well. We have a special guest this evening, one of the most helpful voices in Great Lakes fishing. It's Captain Russell Gahagan. Russell, thanks so much for coming on the show. Not a problem. Looking forward to it, and thanks for having me. Yeah, we really appreciate you. You have a really wide background when it comes to Great Lakes fishing. You do a lot of different things. You've got your hands in a lot of different things. You tell our audience, uh, the folks who don't know about you, uh, tell us a little bit about you and kind of what you do. Well, that's a that's a long-winded deal, but I'll keep it short. So um, as Chris mentioned, obviously, my name is Russell Gahagan. Uh, first and foremost, uh, I grew up a block from Lake Michigan here in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Uh, my dad's a 40-year charter captain veteran, so I grew up in the industry as a, a first mate, and uh, I had a, a passion and love for the fishery. Um, that grew into myself being a first mate then you know got my captain's license uh i currently own a charter business called fish stick fishing with my partner nate um i also own a store uh which was known as anglers avenue for 10 years and then the past couple of years is known as the real shot sheboygan um and then about 2014 i opened up a business called salmon candy and i've ran that ever since which has really blown up into a big deal here in the last couple of years um you know it's kind of one of those things where you know, people talk about, you know, sometimes things happen for a reason and COVID hit a lot of people hard and, and you know, did a lot of things for a lot of people, um, negative and positive. And for me, COVID was one of the reasons I really got salmon candy going because it was hard to get a lot of other products. And I came to a conclusion that, you know, we had something really special in salmon candy and we just needed to, you know, put our mind to, to getting that stuff produced in large volume to take care of, you know, people all over the Great Lakes who were really looking to get that product. And we've been able to somewhat do that um, and really, really do that well this year. Uh, and it's been really exciting. So, um, and then last but not least, um, you know, I have a YouTube page called Russell's Fishing Tech, which uh, is something I've really grown this year. Uh, you know, it's, it's free um, and you can watch tons of videos on there uh, that I, you know, basically tutorials on fishing, um, live fishing, uh, you know, segments of when I'm out on the water, actually just fishing for fun, letting you come along and watch it. And you can kind of pay attention to some of the details of things that we do on a regular basis. And then there's just tons of things on there talking about, you know, flash or fly fishing, meat rig fishing, um, you know, coho fishing, brown fishing, king fishing, wire divers, you know, every topic you could pretty much imagine we we worked on all winter long, putting videos out for, and we're going to continue to. I just put one out yesterday on program building, um, you know, talking about, you know, kind of matching up colors when you figure out something's working. So uh, I've got a, a long-term background in it. Plus I do a little walleye fishing. I've had a little success in the walleye tournament game and, and things like that. And I feel like that also can help, uh, you know, help me in the salmon game because I learned some tips and tactics in walleye fishing that I can bring over. Um, and I also kind of cross promote the color patterns and things like that as I think walleye and salmon have a lot of generalities. Yeah, I want to get to that that program video you did later on the show. I uh, just want to remind everybody, as we do every week here on Fishhawk Live, go ahead and drop your questions in the comments 
Uh, we'll get to them as we get through the show. And as always, we will pick the question of the night. Question of the night is going to get a Fishhawk swag package. We'll send you a hat and lots of other cool free stuff that you'll get in the mail. And if you're listening from Canada, that's not a problem. We'll be happy to send it to you there as well. So uh, go ahead and drop those questions in so Russell can get to those. Uh, Russell, we got a lot of people, especially this year with everything going on, getting into salmon fishing for the first time. Maybe they've got an inland boat. They've been fishing places like uh, Dane County on the Madison chain or what have you. Uh, they're usually using a smaller craft. They're probably going to be running a half dozen rods out on the lake to get started. What would you recommend they pick up? If someone's out there and they're like, hey, this is the year that I want to get out on Lake Michigan or this is the year I want to get out on Lake Ontario, what would you recommend they do to get started there? Well, first of all, Chris, you're 100% right. Um, I've never seen an influx in, in new anglers um, in any year that I've been around the business, which has been, like I said, basically my whole life as I have this year. And I don't know if it's, you know, exactly what it is, um, but there's definitely a lot of new anglers getting involved, which is fantastic. A um, couple of things, you know, on my YouTube channel, uh, Russell's Fishing Tech, I have three videos that I think are really key for, for that exact thing, which is a six rod spread, a nine rod spread, and a 12 rod spread. So depending on how deep you're going to start into this, um, you know, you can watch one of those three videos and it's going to it's going to dissect those particular programs. But the number one thing that I tell people is, um, you know, to come to an expert like myself um, or if you have a local tackle store who, who's got somebody that knows what they're doing um, or call us on the phone, whatever the case may be, and, and have somebody walk you through it. The biggest mistake I see um, new anglers make is they go on the internet and they buy a bunch of used stuff and then they realize that it's used stuff because the last guy didn't want it and uh, they end up with a bunch of stuff that's not really what they want. And here they've spent thousands of dollars um, and they end up basically respending that money on the new stuff that they should have got anyways. Um, and sometimes, you know, that used stuff might get them through the first season or whatever, but most of the time it doesn't. Most of the time they buy this stuff, they're unhappy with it and realize that the person that had it before them is likely selling it because they didn't want it anymore. Once in a great while, somebody's getting out of the game for whatever reason, and you can buy really nice stuff used. Most of the used stuff that I see is, is just not the quality of stuff you want. So the nice part about um, salmon fishing while it's not cheap to get involved in, um, you know, some of the brands like Okuma in particular, which is one of the brands I work with the most here at the store, we do sell Shimano and, and Penn and all the other brands, but um, we work with Okuma the, the most because they're the most affordable. You know, we can sell a lot of rods that are in the 30 to $45 range. Um, we sell, you know, their, their convector reel and their cold water reel, which are in the 90 to $130 range. Um, and while that's not, you know, while that's not, free or, or super inexpensive it's definitely not expensive either um there's a lot of reels out there that are 200 plus dollars so my point of that is you can get into the market or get into the the fishery for a fairly inexpensive amount i have guys come almost every day and pick up a six rod spread to get into the the fishery uh for you know a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars which in the scheme of things is is um you know is affordable for a, a individual or family to get involved in the fishery Russell, when you're, you're putting that six rod spread together, uh, someone getting started, how how would they go about getting those rods out? What what kind of uh, how, what kind of setups would you have them run? I would start them off almost all the time with two dipsies and four planer boards. Um, the dipsies we would rig with braided line, so they were very versatile. Um, the braid cuts the water better than mono, 
So they'd be able to run those braids deep, but they'd also be able to run them shallow. And then I would set those, um, set most of those individuals up with a rig that I call a pump handle. Uh, we'd rig them up with four of those. Um, those would be their planer board setups. And we generally do that because um, the pump handle is basically a weight um, and it allows them to fish a huge section of the water column. They can fish five feet down with that with some real small weights. They can fish 60 or 70 feet down with that with some real big weights. Um, and that allows them to use all six of their rods pretty much anywhere in the fishery, whether you're fishing in 10 foot of water in the spring for browns or you're fishing uh, in 300 foot of water down, you know, 60, 70, 80 feet, um, you know, in the mid or late summer, they're going to be able to run all six of those rods. Where if we rig them up with almost anything else, um, likely not all six of those will be usable all the time. And that's the common six rod spread that we've been selling for a while and it really has taken off and, and you can catch a lot of fish on that particular spread. All right, so we're talking kind of rods and reels. How about the tackle box? What kind of things should people be looking to buy if they're, they're just getting started in Great Lakes fishing and they wanna know what they should be tying on to the end of those lines? Um, you know, obviously with tackle, there's you're gonna need an assortment of tackle. And what I do for most people that works really well is, you know, they come in my store and, and I ask them, you know, I say the best thing to do in this scenario when you're starting is just give me a budget. And I don't care if that budget is, you know, $200 or if it's $2,000 for tackle, give me a budget and I will pick out stuff, help, help you pick out stuff that's going to be successful. I would say one of the things that I've made a living on for the past 10 or 12 years is that I feel like I've never tried to sell anybody anything. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's a lot of people with reputations that, you know, if they get something on their wall that's overstocked or that they couldn't sell, you know, that's the item they put on sale or that's the item that they try to move. And that's never been my forte um, or my MO, I guess you could say. Um, you know, I've, I've continued to pump the stuff and I've actually had customers come to my store a lot and, and ask me what was the hot bait. And I'll tell them and they'll go, well, you don't have any of those. And I'll tell them exactly. I don't have any because it's the hot bait. But they'll go, well, why would you tell me that if you don't have any? Well, because I'm not going to lie to you. That is the hot bait right now. Um, with that said, I mean, you know, you, you're going to need an assortment of spoons and flashers and flies primarily. That's going to cover the bulk of your fishing. Um, whether you're brown trout fishing in the spring, it's generally going to be spoons. Um, if you're salmon fishing throughout the summer, it could be spoons or flashers and flies. Um, and then if you're fishing kings in the fall, again, it's probably going to be, you know, spoons again, maybe some plugs or things like that. But depending on the budget that they have and, you know, how much gear they want to start with, you know, we could we could get them really going on, on spoons and flashers and flies and then add some of the other stuff to it. Starting to get a few questions rolling in here. And folks, again, uh, feel free to drop your questions into the comments there, if, whether you're on YouTube or on Facebook. And once again, we will be choosing uh, the question of the night for a free Fishhawk swag bag. Here's a question from YouTube. It's from Andy Sponseller, and he wants to know, how do you know where to start fishing as a weekend warrior besides just going where you see a lot of boats? That's a fantastic question, Andy, and it's one that I answer all the time. The number one thing that I talk about in my seminars and in even on my videos online is if you want to become a better angler, you need to do as much homework as you can at home. Um, that's why it's called homework, uh, as far as I'm concerned. I try to teach my kids that. Um, and what I mean by that is before you even hook up your boat to your truck, or before you even get in the truck to drive down to the marina to get in the boat, you should have a plan A and a plan B. 
Um, and that plan A and plan B should already be decided. And that should be based on a couple of things. It should be based on fishing reports that you got off the internet or from your local tackle store. And I would definitely rely on, you know, the internet that and people that you can trust. Um, Facebook's full of these pages now that have great reports. Um, almost every couple of ports, if not every port, has a tackle store um, that can help you with what's going on in the lake currently. And I would, I would lean on them. Um, and then the other thing I would say is networking is super important. So if you can become friends with a couple of people that fish regularly, or if you can even befriend some of the local charter captains, if they're willing to share some information, you know, leaning on them without obviously uh, um, going too overboard uh, and driving them crazy, leaning on them for information is important. The reality of it is nobody, there isn't a, like a book here. I mean, uh, you know, Dan Keating does a great job writing some books, but there is no book on where the salmon should live. Uh, a lot of it is find them on a specific day. And then as the weather happens the next day, the next day, the next day, it moves the fish. Um, currents might move the fish, wind might move the fish, water temperature might move the fish. And some of those things you can figure out on your own just on, based on past experiences. But a lot of them, you just gotta, it's, it's trial and error. And the best way to trial and error is a bunch of boats go like this and somebody finds some fish. So, um, you know, doing your homework at home is really important. Join some of them groups, network with some friends, meet some of the charter captains and rely on your local tackle store for a place to start. All right, great stuff. Here's one from Ryan Klain. And Ryan wants to know, uh, can you talk about what your opinion, opinion is as the number one tool to have in your fishing arsenal, whether that be tackle, electronics, networking, etc.? Well, number one, I would have to say networking is probably number one. As I just mentioned, what I know is if you're not on the fish, you're not going to catch the fish. Um, and if you're on the fish and they're biting really good, you will catch them on a whole bunch of different things. There's no doubt about it. Um, with that said, you know, I feel like there's levels of anglers, and I talk about this a lot in my, semin my salmon schools and seminars and stuff. Going from level zero to five is pretty easy. Going from level five to eight is still fairly easy. Um, but gets a little bit harder and going from level eight to 10, uh, gets really hard. And, and those levels, um, I would answer that, that, that question that Ryan has differently based on the level you're on. If you're in five, zero to five, networking is going to be key. Like I just mentioned on the question before, having a starting spot, knowing somebody that can help guide you to the area, talking to the local tackle store, just being on the fish and not coming in with a, with a zero or one in the cooler, um, coming in with four, five, six you know, you're four, five, six better of a fisherman than you were the last time you went. So that's, that's fairly easy to fix that five to eight, I would say is probably, um, that's where equipment comes in. Uh, fish Hawk would be a number one piece of electronics. I've been saying that for 10 years now, uh, other than a GPS, um, to get you in and out safely, the fish Hawk's the most important thing you should have on your boat. I don't even pay attention to my fish finder. I mark my fish with my rods. You can mark them all day. If they're not biting, it doesn't matter. And I've caught my limit, never marking a fish. So um, a fish hawk's super important uh, for them, people trying to go from five to eight, in my opinion, and trying to learn the water and understand how to make moves and why, why you make a move um, based on water temperature, currents, things like that. And then that eight to 10, in my opinion, that's where tackle really comes in. Like we can get people to jump from zero to five with some tackle help as well. Um, but if they're not on fish, it doesn't help. Once you get that zero to eight figured out, you've got some, you know, you got some networking ability down, you've got a fish hawk, you're able to read the water a little bit. Now actually physically catching those fish when a lot of other people can't 
that's where the tackle really comes into play. So I know I kind of answered that in a three-way stage, Ryan, but I hope that that helps a little bit. And I know who you are and I know what level you're at. So um, I think there's, you know, there's an easy answer for you yourself. Yeah, that's a great answer. Uh, here's one from uh, Captain Mark at King's Landing Sport Fishing. He was on the show uh, three or four weeks ago. He says that many of us missed the Salmon Showdown 333 show. Can you tell us a little bit about the experience you had when you participated in the show? Yeah, so the Salmon Showdown, I miss it as well. Um, I wish they'd do it again. It was, it was, besides having children, it was probably the most fun period of my life, that four or five years that I really participated on that. I'm, I'm ultra competitive. Um, my competitive idol or sports idol is Kobe Bryant, who I also think was ultra competitive. And, and you know, I try to, try to um, feel like I do some of the things that I felt like he did really well and work ethic and work hard and things like that. And um, I, I learned a ton. A lot of the things that I talk about and the knowledge I gained, um, you know, I learned as a first mate over the years and then a captain, but a lot of the really detailed techniques and things that make me the angler I am today, I definitely learned um, during that salmon showdown time because I just literally wanted to be the best. Um, and that was the four or five year period where I worked the hardest at it. And, you know, I'll be the first to admit, and I tell lots of people this, I'm not as good a fisherman as I was five years ago, um, in a lot of ways, in some ways I'm better because I'm more knowledgeable today than I was then every year goes by. I, I obviously gain more knowledge. And if you don't, then you're doing something wrong. Um, but as far as fishing skill goes, I feel like part of that too, is you need to be out there and doing that. And, um, unfortunately for me being in the fishing business, uh, I was told a long time ago by many people, I think Trevor from Fishhawk was one of them, that uh, one way not to go fishing a bunch is get in the fishing business. And, uh, you know, owning a tackle store, having young children, um, you know, those are a couple of guaranteed ways not to get out of the lake a lot. So, uh, you know, that that was a four or five year period where, uh, you know, I was out on the lake a lot, spent a lot of time on the water, and it was a ton of fun. Awesome. Here's one from John Barber on Facebook. He says he's looking to upgrade from an eight pound rigger ball to a 10 pound ball. You see any value in the shark weights? They're pretty expensive compared to a cannonball or a pancake. John, if you're trying to keep your, your weight down because of the style of boat you have or style of downrigger you have, I think that the shark weight is a great idea for you. Um, you mentioned that you're at an eight pound ball, which is really small in my opinion. The average size downrigger ball I would say on the Great Lakes right now is probably 15 pounds. That's probably the average. A lot of guys have 12s, a lot of guys have 17 or 20s. Um, if you're looking to keep that weight down for some specific reason, um, and you might have a great reason to do that, then that, that 10 pound shark might be a great option for you. Otherwise, I think a 12, 14 or 15 pound round ball is, is what we sell the most of. And, and it's probably just mostly about price. Um, you know, you can buy two or three of them for the price of a shark. But uh, I, I think the shark's a great option if you're looking for something that uh, pulls through the water easier and you can get away with a little bit lighter ball and not so much blowback. So you recently produced a video on building a program. Yep. You, you really detailed how you pair up colors and presentations when you're fishing. Can you go through some of that with our viewers, just how you kind of do that and put together those, those programs? Yeah, so one of the things, and I learned this really more, I mentioned earlier I'm a, wall, I'm a walleye tournament guy as well, and I don't do a ton of that anymore either, but when I was a kid, uh, about 14 years old, my dad and I started fishing some of the bigger walleye tournaments together as a team. We did that for four years. Um, actually, no, I take that back. We did that for six years until I uh, found out I was going to have my first child when I was 22. And um, one of the things that I learned uh, 
learned the most about during that time was putting together a program. Uh, my dad and I being trollers, we trolled a lot. And obviously we'd, we'd traveled to all these different lakes in the Midwest primarily to fish walleyes. And, and one of the things we'd find out is that each particular lake and each time of year at each bite, you know, there'd be one or two color patterns that would really work. Well, my dad's always been superstitious. So he wasn't a big fan of running like six of the same exact color crankbaits. He didn't, he didn't let me do that at all. Actually. Um, he felt like if you ran more than one of the same exact color, they didn't work as well. I don't know if that's true or not, to be honest with you, but that's what he taught me. And, and he's the best fisherman I've ever met in my opinion. So, um, I believed what he said. So what I did a lot of times was I spent a lot of time trying to find the closest thing to it, um, that would also work. And what I think happens when you do that, um, give you some examples, like, uh, on my video I mentioned right now, they're really biting really good on chrome and blue flashers. So, you know, chrome or silver flasher with a lot of blue tape on it, different patterns. Um, and that's common. I've been talking about that for years. In, in May and June, I find here in the Wisconsin side of Lake Michigan, um, and even in Michigan, when I've been there in this time of year, the, the early cold water, you know, silver and blue is just dynamite um, on Lake Michigan. So what I've done is, you know, I'll start with one or two silver and blues in the morning, expecting those to be good. Give a couple examples. If people know the salmon candy brand, like a blue stud UV flasher and maybe a Megatron flasher. Um, and then if those two go, then I'll start just adding more uh, blue, chrome and blue patterns. So I'll add blue jeans UV, which is another chrome and blue. I'll add SGH, which is another chrome and blue. Um, you know, and I'll just continue to add more and more of those chrome and blue patterns till sooner or later. Um, I've got them on every rod if they're working that well, or, you know, sooner or later, something else I find in my spread starts to work better. And then I'll back that off and add some more of something else. Um, so, and then I find the same thing happens kind of later in the year. Um, you know, all of a sudden maybe green goes, so maybe we've got a bunch of green flashers out or we got chrome and green flashers, you know, and that happens a lot. There's usually a transition somewhere in that may you time frame where all of a sudden the chrome and blue still works but it's not as good i'll put out a couple chrome and green flashers like a green jeans or a chrome stud and those go and then all of a sudden i start putting more of those out and i think that's where i mentioned before like that getting from a level eight to a level 10 angler that's some stuff in there that's some advanced stuff i would say that once a guy really gets a feel for that and that's what it is it's a feel for it once a guy gets a feel for it and he understands kind of how to make that happen, you can multiply your catches pretty quickly, um, especially on some of the bigger fish and the fish that are a little more picky about exactly what they want. Um, you can start to really multiply your catches fast and, and add to that cooler really fast when you can when you can make more rods work. And I talk about that all the time. That's really what it's about. I don't care if you go out there with six rods, nine rods, or 12 rods, or 20 rods for that matter. If you've only got two or three working with the right lures on them in the right area of the water column at the right speed, right action, um, well, then you're only trolling with two or three lures or two or three rods. So you're really not doing yourself any justice. You actually could be hurting yourself if you're putting a pile of rods out and you keep getting bites on the same two or three. All these other rods are really just in the way. Um, and they end up being tangle hazards and, and options to lose fish. So if you want to get really good at this game um, and catch a lot of fish out on the Great Lakes, the easiest way to do that is to just, you know, figure out how to multiply your setups into the fact to where you can get as many rods working as possible at the same time. And that's going to give your best chances for multiple bites at the same time. And also just your best chances for a consistent day of fishing. All right. Here's a really easy one for you, Russell. Kyle Nissler asks, uh, he wants to know if the real shot has just one location 
We know you're in Sheboygan. Uh, how about uh, the other location? No, we got, there's two locations. Um, there's one in Appleton, Wisconsin. Uh, that's the home base store uh, that's been around for a while. And then, like I said, uh, um, I have the store here in Sheboygan. It's kind of a unique relationship. Um, so there's a, a group that owns that store and a, and a group that owns this store, but we do a lot of things together, uh, marketing wise, inventory wise, things like that. So works out really well that way. Um, and it's been a, it's been a joint venture here for a few years now. All right. Here's one from Ryan Sharp. And we got a couple of questions here coming in here. Good. About copper and lead core. Ryan wants to know, he says he started running copper and lead core together on the same rod. Is this something you've tried or, and would you recommend it? Um, that's a great question. I've never tried it and I'm not sure why somebody would do it. Um, you know, if they had a theory or they felt there was a reason why it would work better than something else, you know, I, I don't know why you wouldn't, but, um, it isn't something that I've ever done or, or really heard of anybody doing. One thing that I'm not a giant fan of is knots. Um, and what I mean by that is I, any setup I have, I try to limit the amount of knots involved. Whenever you have knots, you're going to have failures. It's just reality. Knots get beat up going through the line guides and, and uh, on the reel and through the rod guides. Um, and they take a beating and that's usually one of the weak points of any, um, setup. So, you know, I would never try to add more knots necessarily, but again, I mean, you know, if, any, if something's working, I'm always willing to try it. And if somebody thinks that there's like an action difference on that or something, um, you know, might be the next big thing, but it's never been something I've done. All right. Here's another one. This is from Tim Schlappy and he wants to know, uh, would you choose copper or lead core if you could only run one? Um, I guess if I could only run one, I'd run copper because you have the option to get deeper. Um, I personally, I'm a big pump handle fan. And then I generally own some deep copper to cover some of the deep stuff that I can't cover with a pump handle. But there's lots of boats that I set up almost every day with, they use lead core basically from five colors or higher, some of them like 10 colors or higher. And then once they get to that 10 color mark, you know, they'll start to go into the 200, 250, 300, 350, the deeper copper stuff. So even though they're both weighted lines, which I have a video on that, talking about that and going over that, they're really very different. They act different in the water and they, they really generally cover a different section unless you're going to own a bunch of light coppers and it can be the same as lead core. And I guess that's why I'd go with copper then just because it's got more, gives you more option, more flexibility there. Um, and that's what I talk about a lot with, with especially newer anglers is you kind of got to decide, I mean, how many rods and reels do you want to own? If you want to own 30 rods and reels, you can, you can have a whole bunch of different setups. And I think that it can be an advantage, but if you're going to only own six or eight or 10 or 12 rods and reels, the real key to that is you got to make those flexible. So in other words, uh, if they only cover one section of the water column, that rod becomes, in my opinion, a lot less useful because it's stuck at that one section. And if they're not biting right there, you know, you're not gonna have any success with it. And that's what goes back to where I said, trying to get as many rods as possible in your spread producing. Uh, and that's not easy to do. All right, here's one from Ron Turchinsky. Ron would like to know what electric downriggers would you advise getting? It's a great question. Um, as I mentioned a lot, I think downriggers are one of the last things somebody should purchase in their setup just because of the, um, you know, the productive productability of them are not as, as good um, as they once were. Matter of fact, I jokingly call them probe holders now and pr the probe being uh, a fishhawk probe because uh, that's way more important than the downrigger, but we need it a lot of times to hold the probe. So um, 
with that said, I, I guess if I had to pick one, I'd probably pick a Canon um, Optimum, the new one, because it works with the Fishhawk and displays the Fishhawk screen. Uh, but if that's a little rich for your blood or just a little more than a guy wants to spend or is in the budget, then the Canon Mag 10 is, is hard to beat for sure. Um, but you can get a lot done with a, with a manual rigger too. You don't have to have electric. Um, so for a guy that doesn't want to maybe spend the money on that, you know, you can get away with a hand, uh, hand crank. The boat I fish on all the time on YouTube is a, a 20, 2100 Skeeter that my buddy Matt owns that we do all our videos on and he's got hand crank down riggers and we've, you know, we've caught a lot of fish on those and, uh, you know, it's don't have any problems with them. You're not drawing any power and, and they're not really a big deal to put up and down. Awesome. Here's one from Luke Hansen on Facebook. He says he doesn't do very well with flashers and flies. Uh, what can I do to improve my success with these setups? There's lots of answers for this, I'm sure. So uh, we don't know what he does with his, but what are kind of some of your best flasher and fly tips? Well, number one, the salmon candy lineup is basically designed to help that angler. Um, so what's, what's neat about the salmon candy fly system is it's got what I call an interchangeable fly system. Basically the head is big enough that you can slide the fly on and off the leader, meaning it's the only fly in the market that, you know, doesn't have to stay on that particular leader. Why is that important? Well, I, I'm not going to get into all the details of that right now. You should watch that video on YouTube because it's a 20 minute conversation. But basically I believe the line is actually more important than the fly when it comes to scent and things like that. But I do believe that the fly color makes a huge difference from day to day. So what I want to do is I want to keep those leaders healthy as long as I can and keep them fishing as long as I can with the ability to color match again, like I talked about earlier, um, when we were talking about patterns that are producing. One of the things that I do is while I'm program building with my flashers, I'll put a bunch of the same color flies out when they're working. In other words, I'll, I'll mention one of the names, Salmon Candy's Mercy UV Fly, which is our number one seller. Um, not the only one in the group that works, just it's our number one seller. Uh, if that's what's working today, I might have six or eight of those out at a time behind six or eight different flashers. And you have the ability to easily do that by just sliding um, your other flies off the line and putting the, the mercies on the line. You're quickly fishing with six or eight of those mercies. And that's a great way to manufacture more bites by adding more of the right stuff. So a couple things that you can do, Luke, that I think help. You can you know, really pay attention to the color patterns and things that I'm talking about on a couple of day basis. You know, Almost every couple of days, I'm putting out a fishing report or a video or something. Get on the hot program, like right now, all up and down the Wisconsin Lakeshore. The Blue Stud UV Salmon Candy Flasher's hot. The Megatron Salmon Candy Flasher's hot. The Green Jean Salmon Candy Flasher's hot. SGH is hot. Um, you know, you could buy those. And there's more white Megatron, um, Chrome Stud, Mountain Dew Stud. You know, you could buy those five or six or seven I just mentioned and, and have tons of success right now out on Lake Michigan because that's what's working right now. And I'm going to tell you that my videos, my posts, um, if you called store, whatever, and then obviously match those up with the right flies and have the flexibility to switch flies on the go if you need to. Well, that's something we wanted to talk about. You and I were talking before the show started tonight. Uh, you're saying right now that Lake Michigan is the best that you've probably ever seen it. Uh, it goes back to rival the 2012 season. What's what's going on there on Lake Michigan right now? Well, yeah, like I mentioned, um, whenever I compare things, I take 2012 out of play. So if you're watching this right now and you were around in 2012, you'll know that that was an anomaly year. There were limits of kings being caught up and down the entire lake. 
already in the month of May, which is just not normal. Nobody knows what happened that year and why it was like that. Um, but we got something weird going on this year that's a lot of fun. Uh, the fishing is probably, again, taking 2012 out of play because I don't think it's a it's a norm. It is probably the best early season salmon fishing I've seen on the Wisconsin side in 25 years. Um, from all the way down to the state line, uh, all the way up to two rivers right now, there's basically limits of fish being caught regularly by a lot of anglers. And I'm talking novices, novices to experts, um, not just great anglers, not just good anglers, but novice anglers are catching limits. Um, I was in Port Washington over the weekend. The parking lot was so packed, they were parked four blocks down. And I mean, literally 75% of the boats or more coming off the lake had their limit. Uh, the cohos are thick. They're being caught by everybody. There's some kings around, which is good and very early. Rainbows are biting, which is very early for rainbow trout this year. And the lake's full of lake trout, so you can catch a bunch of them you know, a lot, um, when you want to, and just everything is biting. Everything looks healthy. Um, the bait fish is still on the shoreline. So I think that's part of it. It's just wake, making its way back out to the lake. So there's, you know, there's not as much to eat in the lake as there is normally because that bait fish population's spawning by the shoreline. So it's just going back out there. So the fish are, are coming out of the winter mode. They're, they're hungry and they want to bite and there's not a lot around except for your lures. So it's going to be a really special year. I predicted this about a month ago to a bunch of people who, who could verify that, uh, customers in the store and friends of mine. I thought it was going to be one of the better years of, of all time, and I'm going to stick by that, uh, at least for the Wisconsin side, I will say. Um, I think it's going to be an epic season, and, and if you've got a boat, you've got some gear, and you want to get out there, let's do it. All right, here's one from uh, Thomas Hewer. What's your target temp for Kings? Do you put your baits above, in, or below that temp? So I talk about this a lot. The target temp is set up differently every year. Um, I don't feel like there's a temperature map for that. Um, you might catch kings in 56 degree water. You might catch them in, I mean, right now the water down 40 or 50 or 60 is, is 44, 43, 42 degrees. And we're catching kings in that. Um, in July, we'll catch them in 60 degree water. So the kings are where they are. What I generally like to do is once I find them for the season and they kind of start to school up, which here in Sheboygan is usually in late May, early June, I'll sort of figure out what water temperature they're in and then I'll follow that around from there. So I might be catching them 40 down and 80 foot and we might get a certain wind that pushes that water to 60 down and 100 foot and then that water might end up being 30 down and 50 foot. Um, and then way out deep and way deep by the end of the year. So you kind of just try to follow that around. And that's where that, that's why that fish hawk comes into play so much is you need some sort of, you know, device that's going to tell you what the temperature is. Um, and, and then lastly, what's really important is just remember that, you know, starting around early August, all bets are off. Once those adult salmon start to turn colors and start to get ready for the spawn, temperature means nothing to them anymore. Feeding basically means nothing to them anymore. They're going to start to head towards the harbor. They're going to get in some water that's not normal for them. And they're going to start getting super aggressive and biting some super aggressive stuff like J-plugs and bright colored lures and things like that um, that they normally aren't feeding on or biting. But they're doing that out of aggression more than hunger. All right. Uh Here's a good one I like from uh, YouTube from Ellie Teller. She said, if you and someone else go fishing once every weekend, but sometimes you have a third person come along, how important is it to go from a six-rod spread to nine? Um, again, I think it's as important as you make it. Um, and what I mean by that is if you can't uh, get nine rods in the strike zone, then probably adding more rods isn't going to help you at all. 
But if you're set up appropriately, whether you have six, nine, or 12 rods, um, if you've set them up yourself or if, if your local tackle store or myself or whoever sets you up appropriately, you should be able to get nine rods into the strike zone. And if you can do that, you should catch 33% more fish. And that's the key. I mean, I'm going to catch X amount with three rods. I'm going to catch, you know, twice as many with six rods, another third as many with nine rods, and another third as many with 12 rods. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, well why do charter guys catch so many fish? It's a, it's really just mathematics. I mean, they put 12, 15, 20 rods out there, and they're experienced, and they know what they're doing, and they do a really good job of getting most to all of those rods in the strike zone with lures on them that the fish want. And when they do that, um, they can manufacture more bites, which then equals more fish than what an average person can do with a lot less rods. All right, Arlo Tonks, he's a guy that uh, seems to be watching every week, and he usually gets involved, and he's involved tonight. He says, Russ... From watching your videos and talking with you in the past, I know you're a believer in a little slower trolling speed than most. What advantage do you feel this gives you? Uh, two things. I believe that big fish are a lot like, um, you know, other animals and even human beings. And what I mean by that is if you go deer hunting and you go to shoot a big buck, um, generally that big buck isn't the one that's, you know, rushing out to the open uh open field he's also not the one that's running around through everywhere he's walking very slowly very cautiously taking his time checking everything out um and quite frankly I, I feel the same way about you know other types of animals and things like that and i think salmon are the same that two to ten pound king races to that pot of bait fish and grabs it as fast as it can as that you know 15 to 25 pound king takes his time sort of checks the school out make sure he picks out the bait that he wants or the you know, the forage that he wants or the one out of the group or the six out of the group that he's going to try to attack for the easy meal. So I think that the slow speed has been something that's been my forte, uh, especially come tournament fishing and catch bigger fish um, for a long time. Um, and then the other thing I think it does is it helps manufacture more bites. Uh, what I mean by that is by going slower, you naturally stay over the top of the fish longer. I don't care if the pot of fish is a quarter mile long, a tenth of a mile long, or a mile long or five miles long, um, if you're trolling over the top of them at two and a half miles an hour and I'm trolling over the top of them at two miles an hour, I'm going to spend more time on the fish. You're going to spend more time outside the fish, turning around, things like that, because you're ripping through them. So over the course of time, whether even though that doesn't sound like a big deal, over five hours, 10 hours, 15 hours, 20 hours, I, I feel like I'm just going to be over the top of the fish longer than you are and I'm going to get more chances at them. All right, that's a great answer. Here's one from Jamie Ryan. He says, uh, what line are you running with your pump handles? 50-pound braid and then a 17-foot, 25-pound mono leader. And that 17-foot sort of an odd number, um, but it's the distance that I feel like is right, that it's far enough back that you can easily take the pump handle ball off of the line so it's not swinging in, in whoever's face that's going to grab it because the fish is far enough back yet that he's not going crazy right behind the boat, not all spooked by the boat, but it's close enough that the term pump handle comes from that weight, that round ball that I hook on there, hold my hand like this, the round ball that I hook on there and it kind of bounces up and down in the waves like this when you get wave action. Well, of course that naturally lifts and pulls that flasher up and down like this in the water and it gives it a pumping kind of rhythmic motion that I think gives a different action than lead corn copper. Um, so you want it close enough to the weight that you get that, but not too close that that becomes dangerous. And actually in other parts of of Lake Michigan and Wisconsin, they call those rods weapon rods. 
And it's because that weight can be like a weapon to somebody trying to take it off the line. So uh, that's why I prefer setting it up with that method. Uh, here's a follow-up question from Jamie. He wants to know what's the maximum depth you can reach fishing with the pump handles? It depends on how many you want to run. Um, I can get 100 down with them if I only want to run a couple. But if you want to do the spread that I like to run, which is six planer boards and six pumps, that gives you the best chance to, again, manufacture more bites, doubles, triples, quadruples, things like that. Um, then I feel like 60 to 70 downs about your max because I have sort of a guideline that um, – I have sort of a guideline that I want to stick in, which is I, I run all my pumps 75 to 150 feet out. So the shortest lead I put on them is 75 to keep it kind of stealthy, get it away from the board. Um, and the longest lead I like to run is 150. So if that 75 to 150 doesn't get me in the area I want to be in, I just change weights and go lighter if I want to go higher or heavier if I want to go deeper. Um, and that, that gets me where I want to be. All right. Uh, Here's one from Steve V, and this gets back when we were talking uh, colors. He says, uh, when running spoons and flies, you match colors on both sides of the boat or try one pattern per side? Um, no, I so I'll mix the entire boat. I don't ever try like side to side. First of all, when I go fishing most of the time, whether it's on a charter, a tournament, fun fishing, it's sort of the normal thing here. I don't know if it's normal anywhere else, but... I usually when I go fishing, I get one side of the boat and then the person I'm fishing with gets the other. Or if I'm like going on a charter and I'm running the boat with my partner, Nate, Nate gets one side of the boat, I get the other. So we usually pick our own gear out. Um, so, you know, I'll put a, a selection of stuff out. Um, you know, I might put, say I'm going to run, you know, four flashers on my side. I might put two chrome and blues and two chrome and greens out to start, you know, and I might put two green flies, one, you know, one uh, blue fly and one glow fly out or something to start, see what the fish want. That's something I talk about a lot that I think is one of the biggest tips I can give people that my dad taught me when I was a young kid, which is I said something to him one time. I said, I said, dad, you know, I said, I think I was on a charter with him. And I said, man, this lake changes fast. I mean, you know, it changes every week. I mean, sometimes it even changes every couple of days. And he's like, no, son, he's like, it, it, it actually changes every trip. And that sunk in with me and he was 100% right. You, you, you can't even really take what happened in the morning and expect the same results and same things to happen in the afternoon. Things change literally every time you go out fishing, um, sometimes more than others. Sometimes it changes a lot. Sometimes it just changes a little. But my point of that is, is I almost never take too much into consideration from before. I, I use it as a starting point. And that's what I talked about earlier in doing your homework and having, you know, a starting place to fish and a starting lineup of tackle. But you, the guys that are really good have to be on their toes and have to have an understanding of uh, what to do to switch some things up. Or, or like I said, build your program throughout the morning. That's how you're going to catch a bunch more fish because, uh, you know, what they've been on today, they might not bite on all six or eight of those lures tomorrow. They might only bite on four and you got to try to switch up the other four that aren't working to something else to get those working. All right. This is from Kennedy on YouTube. And Kennedy would like to know what is your advice to a young avid fisherman who's looking to, to get into starting a big lake year round charter service on Lake Michigan? Well, first of all, I would say if you want to have a year round charter service, uh, you need to buy a 21 foot boat or less and probably aluminum boat. Um, because if you're going to go out in the cold weather, bust ice, do things like that, 
um, you're going to definitely need that type of boat. The other thing I would say is that, um, you know, you need to be able to be willing to move around. And, and that's what a trailerable boat will give you, which is great. Um, what I mean by that is, um, you know, you got to be willing to hear. So if, so if you're from Sheboygan, Wisconsin, if I was going to start a charter service and wanted to be mobile, it was what I was going to do um, different than what I have now where I have a 33-foot boat at the dock. Say I wanted to be mobile and I wanted to have a year-round business, you know, I might start down at the state line um, or even into Illinois in early parts of the season where the lake's a little bit warmer, the fish are biting, and I'd work my way all the way up. And I might, you know, I might be chartering up in Sturgeon Bay in July and August because that's where the best fishing is. Um, so you, you need to be mobile and be willing to move around, have your clientele be willing to move around, um, even if they book in, in you know, the off season and you tell them you think you're going to be in Sheboygan or Manitowoc in July, you got to be willing to call them the week before and say, hey, best bite right now is out of Door County. Um, can we meet up there? You get a room there and we'll, we'll go out there because the fishing's just better there. And that's, that's the way I think the lake's starting to go to. You know, there's a lot less boats at the dock nowadays, a lot less of the 33-footers um, parked at the dock. There's a lot more trailerable boats and individuals getting into it with an 18- to 21-foot trailerable boat. And that's awesome because it gives them flexibility, and that's what I think uh, will help them catch more fish. And I mentioned at the top of this broadcast, um, you know, if you're not on fish, you're not going to catch fish, and that's the number one thing. So the easiest way to get on fish is to drive where the fish are. But it's a lot easier to drive there in your trucks than it is in a car. I mean, excuse me, excuse me. It's a lot easier driving your truck than it is in the boat. So if the fish are biting 70 miles from your your home city, um, it's easier to drive 70 miles in the in the truck than it is in the boat. So having that flexibility and having a boat on the trailer that you can move around with really will help you. Russell, one of the things that you're really well known for, obviously, is your salmon candy brand. It's custom yeah. tackle. Tell us a little bit about uh, salmon candy and kind of how you got into doing what you do there. Yeah, so actually the um, the fly was my dad's idea um, back in 2014. He said to me, you know, I'm getting tired of storing all these flies. You know, we had hundreds and hundreds of flies, and we all did. Um, and, and because they were tied on a leader and they were kind of set that way, you had to find a way to store them. And being a charter captain and, and kind of understanding the, um, you know, the building a program thing, like I mentioned, you know, we had six or eight or 10 or 12 of all these flies because we'd run six or eight at a time if that's what was working. And, um, you know, you just get tired of storing hundreds of flies. So he came up with this idea that, you know, we ended up uh, manufacturing this interchangeable fly system. And, and it works really, really great. And, and that was kind of something that I've done since 2014, kind of just basically selling it primarily in my store here. Um, and it was always something that we just never had enough inventory of. People wanted it, wanted it, wanted it, wanted it. And we had very little. And then, like I said, a couple of years back, we really got it going um, as far as the flies go. And then last year, um, you know, we introduced the flashers. And then this year, we kind of took it to a whole new level. We've got, you know, we all got the flies. We got the flashers. We brought a spoons out, you know, and it kind of came out with a new spoon that's sort of different than what everybody else is doing. And that's really been phenomenal. And it's had crazy good results so far. Uh, we came out with meat rigs. Uh, you know, we're working on, we're going to have sort of a, a fun release here coming up on fish blades. Uh, fish-shaped flashers. We've got, you know, lake trout rigs. Uh, we hit the market hard with cowbells this year for lake trout, and that's been helping anglers all over the Great Lakes catch a bunch of fish this spring. So it's just it's just blowing up. I mean, um, I always had a vision that it was going to be really big, Chris, but I got to be honest. I mean, I didn't think it was going to turn into what it is now, um, and I'm excited about it. You know, I've got four, five, six people working on a daily basis 
never would have imagined that right here in the store. You can kind of see I'm actually in one of our, I'm in our stock room right now. You can see right here behind me is where we keep all the spoons. All the boxes are labeled and stuff like that with what spoon it is um, for our backstock. On this side over here is where all the flasher backstock is, which is pretty empty right now because sales have been really good. Um, there's flies and all that around. And then in the other room, which you might be able to hear a noise from uh, here and there, there's actually two guys working over there right now who uh, are both um, high school kids who, who go to school during the day and then they come in and they work. And I've got four or five individuals that are working on a daily basis making this stuff. And uh, it's really turned into a full-time gig um, we spent all winter, five, six, seven people every day working um, really hard on this. And we've built a lot of inventory and we've sold a lot of inventory already. And we're going to continue to sell a bunch of inventory. And it really just all kind of relates back to uh, myself um, is really what it does. My Russell's Fishing Tech, myself um, uh, in the store here. And just the fact that we point people in the right direction. Uh, you know, I put a little live video up this weekend, for example, of, uh, of a 28-pound king we caught um out of port washington and uh you know that king bit a fly behind a flasher and of course we had a giant run on those flies and flashers but what was neat about that was it's not like it's just a gimmick to sell some stuff i i'd be lying if i said i had less than a hundred text messages or facebook messages in the past 48 to 72 hours with people thanking me that went out the next day or the day after and, and boated a bunch of fish on that flasher and that fly or flashers and flies like that that I recommended in my program building video. So, you know, it's it's really fun for me when the other people get to enjoy the fishery and the excitement and have the success that I want them to have. And that's really what Salmon Candy is all about. Um, naturally, we want to sell gear, but uh, there's more to it than that. We're selling people the gear they need to catch more fish and it's working. And that's why we're, we're having such success. It's not just some product we're putting out there that, you know, um, a, some of it may work, some may not. I mean, we're only putting out stuff that's working. One of the kind of the magical things about what you're doing is you've got so many variations on really similar patterns. And I, I watched that video that you were talking about on building a program. And a lot of these flies or the flashers that you're showing, you know, there's not a lot of difference in them. So the slight variations essentially is what we're talking about. Do you really see that big a difference between some of those real slight variations on things? 100%. Um, it's, it's crazy. Uh, we talk about this a lot. We joke about this a lot, whether the, the tackle sometimes is more for the fishermen or the fish. But in reality, if you've got experience out there and you ask almost any charter captain, hardcore tournament angler, any of them, they're all going to tell you the same thing, that it, it matters. Um, the brand matters. The, the color matters. The size matters. Um, all of that makes a difference. Like my, I'll give you an example for a walleye guy out there. A fire tiger flicker shad is not going to work the same as a fire tiger shad wrap. They're basically identical looking baits. From 10 feet away, you could probably hardly tell the difference unless you were a walleye tackle expert. Um, to the average eye, they'd never know the difference. But it matters. Um, and the same thing goes for other brands of flashers versus ours versus you know, color patterns. Um, give you another example, like you said before that, you know, there's slight variations. The Megatron doesn't look a lot different than the H SGH, which doesn't look a lot different from the blue stud, but they are very different. And when you put them in the water and they start rolling over, they've all got quite a bit different reflections. It's interesting is they're similar enough that they generally work when, you know, they each work when that particular style of color is working, that chrome and blue is working, each of them work. 
but absolutely no doubt one of them will stand out on a daily basis. Blue Stud might take four or five hits, while SGH takes two or three, while uh, Megatron takes one or two. And then, you know, three days later, Megatron may take four or five hits when the other ones take one hit, two hits, three hits. So for whatever particular reason, you know, those subtle differences make all the difference in the world and official pick that out from a day-to-day -day basis. Well, Russell, we really appreciate you spending some time with us tonight. Uh, it was a good hour of, of taking questions, and uh, you're a, a huge source of information for people. Your YouTube channel, I use it a lot to educate myself, and I think uh, people go to Russell's Fishing Tech on YouTube if you want to learn about fishing. From If you're one of those people that's getting started in this game and you want to know how to get started, it's a great place to go. It's a great resource Russell, I mean, it's essentially what you're doing there is you're you're putting in seminars, short seminars, and all kinds of different things. Uh, so you can go definitely go to Russell's Fishing Tech to find out more about what Russell's got going on. Uh, if other if people want to get a hold of you, other ways, Russell, what's the best way for them to kind of keep tabs on you and what you're doing? Yeah, so like you mentioned, um, I got Russell's Fishing Tech on YouTube. I've got Russell's Fishing Tech on Facebook. Um, I obviously have the store, the Real Shot Sheboygan, which you can call us anytime at uh, 920-395-2079. Uh, if you're looking to order some product or you're looking to uh, get some product, we also got our, our um, Salmon Candy website, www.salmoncandyfishing.com. There's also the Real Shot website, which is www.therealshot.com. So there's a whole bunch of places that you can find stuff that I have an influence on. Um, but the biggest thing right now is, you know, I kind of mentioned earlier, and I, I just wanted to make this, you know, make this comment before we finish up here. I mentioned earlier that, you know, that that four or five year period of time in my life um, where I was doing the tournaments was some of the most fun and, and some that I'll never forget. I'm, I'm kind of entering Chris into a time period now where I'm really enjoying it, too. It's it's to me, it's kind of like in some ways um, when a, when a you know, pro sports athlete plays pro sports and then after he becomes a coach. And that's kind of where I am at this point in my life. Again, I love tournament fishing. I do a couple of tournaments every year. I really enjoy it. Um, I'm super competitive yet. But really, the most enjoyment I get out of the fishery now, truthfully, is when I get that text or, or phone call or email. And I get a lot of them. And I'm, I'm really appreciative of every single one. Um, I got three or four today. You know, and it's, 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 you know, just that quick note of, hey, Russell, wanted to say thanks. You know, I stopped in the store over the weekend or I watched this video and I bought these three things and I went to this depth, like you said, and, and, you know, I caught the fish of a lifetime or I, I boated my first limit or, or I'm just, you know, I'm just enjoying continued success, uh, unlike I've ever had on, on the Great Lakes. And, and I've sort of got to that point in my life now where I get more enjoyment actually out of everybody else doing good and having fun than I do myself. Um, I've had my sort of my time of enjoyment there and I still love going out and catching a bunch of fish and that'll never get old to me, but, um, uh, I see a little more fun in, in everybody else having success. So that's where we're at now. We're going to continue to try to educate people and, and try to sell them the right stuff. Um, and as I said before, I'm not trying to just sell anybody anything or, or, or sell them something they don't need. What I really want to do is, is have them spend their money wisely by buying the stuff that they really need. That's going to help them catch more fish. Awesome, Russell. Once again, really appreciate you coming on the show tonight. Uh, the question of the evening is going to go to Luke Hansen. Luke, go ahead and drop us a private message on Facebook with your address, and we'll get your package out to you. But, uh, Russell, thanks so much uh, for everything you did with us tonight and everything you've done in the past with us, and uh, 
hope for continued success for you, especially with this this year going on and uh, stuff on the horizon. Yeah, we really appreciate uh, myself and everybody here at the store and Sam and Candy appreciates you giving us the time to come on and having something so great like like this uh, live to be able to do this. And, and lastly, thank you to all the customers out there and the people that signed on. You know, that's what it's all about. If nobody's interested in the stuff. It really doesn't matter. So uh, we're thankful to have everybody home, healthy, and, and uh, ready for a great season of fishing. Thanks so much for joining us this evening, guys. Next week, we're going to be talking Lake Huron. So we'll see you on Fishhawk Live. It'll be next Thursday night, and we'll be talking Lake Huron. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. For more information on fishing the Great Lakes, visit our blog at fishhawkelectronics.com.